We now have the opportunity to open God's Word together. So I'd invite you to <clears throat> open your pew Bibles to page 1832, where we'll find Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. When my family and I lived in Leon, Nicaragua, we uh, quickly stumbled upon a French bakery run by a Dutch lady. I figured to figure that one out. It was, a, it was a tourist hot spot, and rightly so because they had really good coffee and really good baked goods. And uh, one thing uh, they experimented with was this thing called macarons. I have no idea if I'm saying it correctly, but it's a, it's a cookie-type pastry. Um, that are, that are small, but they're intensely flavorful, and they're really sweet. Um, we didn't buy them often because they were expensive, but when we did, you'd have to slow down, you have to look at it really carefully, enjoy the aesthetics, and you'd have to kind of take a, a, a bite one, one at a time and just really savor it. This morning, we, we are about to, to, to dive into a really a, a small, but a super intense, flavor-rich passage just, just full of, 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 uh, of who Christ Jesus is, who Christ Jesus is. So we need to slow down, slow down our pace. And this morning we're, we're going to take one bite. But I invite you in the weeks to come, in the days to come, to return to this text on your own and uh, enjoy it more. Now it's a, it's a good and a bad thing that it's a very familiar text for for uh, <clears throat> for many of us. Um, as I read it this time, as I as I began praying preparing for this message, I really struck with why. Why did Paul choose to, to, to kind of write this expansive, explosive view of who Christ is to, to this community at that time? Like, why would they need to hear this? And kind of in that vein, why might we, as First Hamilton, need to hear this this morning? Now, we don't know a lot about uh, the, the church and community or the, even the place at Colossae. We, we know a few things. First of all, we know that it was kind of an insign insignificant place in between kind of two more popular places of Hierapolis and Laodicea. We know that there was a, there was a large Jew Jewish population there that were well integrated into the, into the, into the communities. 
Um, and, and thirdly, we know that the, or we gather from, from the text that the Christians there were from Gentile backgrounds. They were not Jewish uh, believers con- converted to Christians. That they were, they were formerly pagans. And in the letter, we see Paul kind of going at this, this, this philosophy as, as per why he wrote this. And, and this philosophy seems to kind of threaten to erode their confidence in Christ. He says, um, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty, uh, empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. In verse 16, he says, Let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. In verse 20 to 21, he says, If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not touch, do not handle, do not, do not taste. And so while there's been a whole lot of debate, um, I find the scholarship of, of N.T. Wright and others pretty compelling. And he says they weren't actually in danger of being converted to this kind of Eastern pagan mystic philosophy. They're likely being questioned as counterfeits by their Jewish neighbors. They're likely being questioned as counterfeits by their, by their Jewish neighbors. You see, the early church, and, and through the work of Paul, kind of took on the Jewish identity as, as this, this dearly beloved and chosen people of God. That, that had been the, the Jewish people identity since, um, since forever. Um, and, uh, but, the, but the problem was, they kind of took on the identity, but they didn't take on the practices. They didn't have the rites, the, the festivals, or the traditions. You, you can't imagine how we feel when, when we see someone claim to be a Christian, but then not act a part. You kind of feel this kind of righteous indignation, like, how dare you? Who are you to think you can kind of take on our, our identity and not live it out? We actually get to hear uh, one of these conversations uh, written um, between Justin Martyr and uh, a rabbi named Trifo. And, and, this, and this is what the, the rabbi writes to Justin. He says, But this is what we are uh, most at a loss about, that you professing to be pious and supposing yourselves better than others are not in any particular separated from them and do not alter your mode of living from the nations in that you observe no no festivals, no Sabbaths, and you do not have a rite of circumcision. Um, The message was, your Savior is not really a Savior. He's, he's a failed Messiah. You call yourself, you know, you kind of take our Jewish name, but you're not actually Jewish. Your piety is incomplete. You're morally deficient. And you can imagine kind of walking through your town, living your, your, your daily life, and just knowing that that's what your neighbors are thinking about you. And I can imagine how that would slowly, slowly kind of eat away at their confidence. Yeah, is Jesus really who he said he was? Like, is this gospel really true? That, is, it, is it really what, what, what we were told by Paul and by, uh, and by others? Now, while we at First Hamilton aren't in danger likely of having our neighbors call into question our, our faith, there, there, there are ways that our confidence can kind of develop a slow leak. In this Canadian culture specifically, um, it's fine that you have faith, that you have Jesus in your life, as long as you keep him personal, as long as you keep him to yourself. You know, it's kind of like when you, when you read the newspaper, I, I, um, and there'd be sports, there'd be news, there'd be local, and then there'd be religion. 
And it's fine that Jesus is kind of there, but don't read him into the other pages. You know, keep Jesus in your pocket, but don't, but don't bring him out in conversations or, or, or don't actually live for him in a way that says he's actually Lord over all. I mean, um, for me, I kind of feel that, that awkwardness almost when you have conversations with people who, who aren't Christians, right? You're kind of wondering, like, how do I talk about Jesus in a way that's, that's compelling, that's true, that's not going to force my, my, my opinions on them, or it's not going to have them think that I'm, I'm a total weirdo, right? We, we kind of, we, we experience that awkwardness of what does it mean to acknowledge that Christ isn't just my Savior, but actually Savior of the whole world, that's one way I think that we have tempted towards a slow leak in our confidence. But I think even more so is it, is it if you watch the news or read the news or scroll through the, through the news, there's this constant um, bad news in which it seems like the world is falling apart. You know, we see in this text, and it's clear, it says, For by Jesus all things were made in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created um, through him and for him. He is before all things, and, he is in all, and in him all things hold together. Right? It seems clear. Jesus has it all. He has the whole world in his hands. But then we read the news, and we see pictures of Texas senior citizens up to their waist in water in their retirement home. And our hearts hurt. We, we, we see whole neighborhoods in British Columbia burnt to the ground. As, uh, as Brian shared, we hear the stories of, of over 500,000 Rohingya Muslim refugees have fled into Bangladesh. We watch as North Korea and the U.S. use rhetoric of, of nuclear warfare. Maybe inwardly we wonder, really? Jesus is holding all things together? It seems like the world is falling apart. You know, the, the, the tumult of the world rages loudly and it threatens to kind of silence our faith. A few months ago, uh, um, my wife and I bought our, our kids a geometric dome for our, our backyard. If you can imagine this, but it's one of those kind of, it's a play structure with many bars. They're kind of interconnected. There's kind of, it's about yay big. Yay, yay wide. It looks kind of like a bit of an igloo made of, of blue and, uh, and red bars. It had about 40 pieces to it. And uh, I was really excited to kind of, to kind of put it up. And so um, we put it down in the backyard. Of course, it starts to drizzle rain as this happens. And there's, um, like I said, about 40 pieces of bar that I have to kind of put together into this nice looking structure. Um, and so I had to begin by taking five pieces, putting them into one section, doing that five times, then kind of, and then doing the other connecting pieces, and then again, and again, and again. It took, it took a lot more than I was, I was expecting it to take for myself, and also for my daughter, Myra, who was there looking at the box, the picture of the box, where these you know, kids are climbing on it with big smiles, and, and she's looking at me and this kind of mess of pipes, looking back, looking back, and then finally, she honestly says what she was thinking all along. Daddy, you're really messing things up. <laughs> like, Daddy, like you're, you're really messing things up. And I think if we're honest, in this passage, it looks really clear. God has it all put together. It's, it's all held together in Christ. And then we look at the news and we think, Daddy, you're really messing things up. You know, I, 
I think the writer in Hebrews chapter 2 captures it really well. He says, Now, in putting everything in subjection to Jesus, God the Father, left nothing outside of his control. At the present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Jesus. I think that captures it. You know, it's all been put under Christ's feet, and yet it looks like it's a big mess on the floor. But then he says in the same breath, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. But we see, we, we see the mess, but we see Jesus if we look. It's like when, when my son was two years old, uh, Ezra, and when he became panicked or frightened, he would kind of get agitated. I, I have to kind of grab him by the arms, pick him up, hold him in front of my face, and make eye contact. Ezra, look at me. I'd say, Ezra, where's daddy? And try, I, I wanted him to, to look me in the eyes, to feel my calm, to, to, to kind of see my confidence and feel my strength, that I had him. And I think th- this morning, Christ is wanting to hold up the, the church at, at Colossae and, and the church at First Hamilton and say, look at me in the eyes. Know that I, I have you. You know, so to the church in Colossae, his message there was, you've always seen God as invisible, but guess what? I've also made him visible. In me, in Jesus Christ, if you want to see what God looked like, what he felt like, um, what, he, what he talked like, I'm not a failed Messiah, Jesus is saying. I am the full version of God. There's no trial version. I am the full version. All of God, the abundance of who God is, lives in me. It says, look at me. You know, your neighbors think that God created the world through wisdom, but actually, I, God created the world through me. I, I made the world. And not only that, but I keep it thriving. I hold it together when it wants to shake apart and fall to pieces. He says to them, you may be impressed by the imperial power of Rome all around you, the soldiers, the propaganda. There's this temptation to become focused on them or in the Jewish culture on angelic beings and make a big deal out of them. But he's saying, I created those positions of powers on heaven and on earth. Move your eyes from the creation to the creator. Shift your worship to the, to the rightful place. And lastly to them, he said, many people, uh, your friends think that I, I'm a failed Messiah, that I died and that the cross was the end of me. Guess what? That wasn't just the end. That was actually the beginning. And I am the beginning. I am, I am the beginning of, of the firstborn of those among the dead and you're coming with me. You, you, are, you are in the family of, of, of the, the resurrected family of God and, the, and, the, and that, that God is breathing his resurrection into, into our lives, into that church, so he, he could breathe it through them. See, the, the Spirit through Paul was calling the church at Colossae to take a long, clear look at Jesus and see him for who he really was. God, who holds all things together, who, 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 uh, who saved everyone, who, who, yeah, who, uh, who died for all of us, holds us all together and is bringing complete restoration to the world. You see, the, the temptation was that Jesus wasn't enough. Paul is saying, Jesus actually is enough. He's complete, and in him, you are complete. You see, at, at, at First Hamilton, we also may feel that, Daddy, you're really messing things up. So how do we, how do we come to that place of confidence again? How, how do we live in a daily, practical confidence 
in Christ and, and, and who he says he is in this passage. Um, for me, I'll never forget the moment when, when Psalm 46 and the line, be still and know that I am God, took on a whole new meaning. See, often uh, when we come across this line, it's, it's kind of on a sympathy card, it's on a bookmark, it's maybe in a prayer room. And the picture is of tranquility. You know, I, I Google search, be still and know. I saw one of the pictures was this, this really quiet lake with an empty canoe attached to a dock with kind of forest in the background. We, we imagine that the psalmist wrote this from a, a mountaintop cabin, sipping his latte, overlooking a lake. <laughs> but that's actually not, not the truth of it. Um, in April 2014, again, <clears throat> when we were in Uganda, two, uh, in, in Uganda, in Nicaragua, Two weeks from, uh, in from being there, we came back from uh, a language class, Spanish language class, uh, for lunch, and we were in a, in, in a colonial home of uh, missionaries who were hosting us. It was lunchtime, and we were milling about, and all of a sudden, the floor started to shake. And then, and then the, the cement wall that I was standing right beside started to sway. <laughs> it was, I, I'd never experienced an earthquake before, and I had taken the ground beneath me and colonial homes of about 200 years or more, it's pretty solid. But that experience was just so jolting, so unsettling. All that I thought was kind of sturdy and secure and, and, and safe actually is, is, is uh, movable. And I think this Psalm 46 is actually a psalm, not for the retreat center, but a psalm for when the world seems to be falling apart. Where what we counted as un- unmovable begins to move. I think it's a wonderful pairing. It's a nice kind of flavor pairing between uh, Psalm 46 and Colossians 1. There, in, in Psalm 46, it writes, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. You just, you just feel the energy, the kind of chaotic, the chaotic context of uh, this psalm. He writes, the nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But he says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And, and in that context of the world is kind of shaking all around you, be still and know that I am God. In the loud chaos of our world, we are invited to, to, to with the Holy Spirit, still our anxious hearts and refocus on Jesus who holds all things together and will eventually remove all the chaos fully from heaven and earth. And in Hebrew, apparently, it's be still in order that you may know. This is the fact that we, we actually have to quiet our hearts in order so that the Holy Spirit can whisper, I've got you. I won't let you go. I've actually got the whole world in my hands and I won't let it go. And we need to hear that again and again and again. And I think our minds know that, but what I've learned is that our hearts are slow learners. They need repetition. They need to hear it again and again. So I invite you, the practice of stillness, of, of, of quieting yourself and letting God remind you again that he's got the whole world in his hands. Not only do we, do we need to practice stillness, this passage is about heaven and earth, reconciled in Christ. Christ says, in everything I have this supremacy, I am fully God. I have reconciled all things on heaven and earth by making peace through my blood shed on the cross. You see, Christ's Christ's crucifixion didn't take place on a cloud 
or in some kind of third heaven. His cross was securely planted in the soil of earth. His human blood mixed with the dirt beneath it. Heaven touched earth in Golgotha, and life would never be the same. See, in the cross, both the, 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 the spiritual, the heavenly, and the earthy um, come together and, and, and are brought back to Christ. You know, this kind of leaves no area of off, no area of our lives off of God's table of restoration. I, I, I remember working with nursing students in Uganda back in 2009 and kind of wanting to kind of encourage them to see that, that all of life was, was important to God. And so I, I, I drew on, on, the, on the chalkboard a calendar, like a, a calendar of a month. I said, fill in the times that are, that are uh, with the act, uh, kind of spiritual activities or activities that are really important to God. They kind of colored in Sunday, colored in a few evenings where they have worship services. And I think while, while, while we kind of, as Reformed folks, um, tend to kind of take pride in our, we kind of get that all, you know, that every square inch of life matters to God. I still think we kind of tend to value certain activities more than others. You know, it's, it's uh, um, yeah, it's just a, a real easy temptation um, to, to kind of see certain things like our devotions, uh, serving at the church, you know, doing things in the church and for the church, which are very important, but so are the mundane, daily um, uh, tasks that we have to do, whether it's listening to your kid tell you another story that you've heard three times or reading that book once more. I have a five-year-old, three-year-old, and a seven-month-old, so it's reading a book for the, for the 20th time. That matters to Jesus. You know, how, how, we, how we treat our colleagues really matters to Jesus. How, how we do our work really matters. I think it, it kind of, this, this passage invites us, what are those areas kind of off of, you know, on that calendar that we don't see as so important? How can we see that Jesus really values that, and how can we do those with him and for him? And so, so what are those areas that you feel like, ah, Jesus isn't, isn't that really interested about? You know, name those areas and invite the Holy Spirit to help you be present with Christ and see Christ's presence with you as you do that. And, la- and lastly, in this text, Jesus is, is picking us up and saying, look at me. Um, look at, um, the world can feel like it's falling apart, but in my death and resurrection, I began the restoration process. I've marked it all for renewal, and I want you to join me in this project. You know, it, it, the gospel is so good in, in that, it is, you know, in the world, the pressure is all on us to save the world. If we don't do it, no one will. And it, it leads kind of just kind of pride that look at what we're doing or despair. We can't do it. But the gospel begins from a posture of look what Christ did, look what Christ is doing, and join him in that. And so the, 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 the place is, you know, first of all, it, it, it says um, in uh, verse 20, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so at the cross, because of what Christ has done, we, we are able to receive the peace of God. I'm guessing it even means shalom. So, th- so that shalom comes to us through the cross, that we're able to receive the, 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 the well-being, the, the, the confidence of God, the peace of God to fill our hearts, that, that, that then enables us to work for peace. So we, we receive peace, so we can walk in peace and give peace and, be, and become peacemakers. Um, 
In, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, therefore, be reconciled to God. You know, have you ever really messed up against, kind of sinned against someone and had them say, I forgive you? That kind of experience of kind of relationship being opened up again and, and, and the potential to kind of um, be close again? You know, at the cross, Christ is, God is saying, I forgive you. I'm not holding your sins against you. You don't have to hold your sins against you because I'm forgiving you of those. I'm freeing you from those. You know, we don't have to reconcile, we don't, we don't have to reconcile ourselves or others to God. Jesus did that. We worked from the finished work. Peace and reconciliation began at the cross and it is going to happen. It's happening right now through the church and it's going to happen in fullness when Christ comes back. So we get to live out of that and invite others into that. It's like in January 1st, 1863, when slavery was officially abolished in the U.S. The law was passed and it was made into effect, but there were still many slaves on plantations and in homes for two and a half years until July 19, 1865. Many slaves did not know they were free and there were still lots of unjust structures that had to be uprooted. You know, we live in that space between the emancipation act of the cross. And we get to be those who invite others to experience the release that has already been worked for them in the cross. We get to invite others into this resurrection life. So let me conclude by sharing what I said to my daughter that day as we worked on the, on the dome. And she said, Daddy, you're really messing things up. I said, sweetie, trust me. I know what I'm doing. May we rest secure in, in the cosmic wide embrace of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, God the Father, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you hold us. Lord, you hold us amidst the chaos. Lord, you hold us as the world is shaking. Lord, as, as nations are in uproar. Lord, as a, as a mountain shake. Lord, all that, we've, all that seems solid, Lord, easily is not and Lord, yet you are, you, are, you are our security, Lord. You are our peace in this time. So Holy Spirit, would you help us to receive the peace that Christ worked through the cross and the resurrection? Would you help us to, to live from that peace? Or would you, would you give us your confidence, Jesus, so we would trust the Father as you do, so we would love the Father as you do, that we would love others with the love that you have, Lord. So would you help us to receive your reconciliation, to be reconciled to you, Lord, and to live a life that invites others into a vital connection with you and with others through your cross. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.